Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Carl, and we are keeping score in the middle of an amazing World Cup and at the end of two incredible championships in the United States. St. Louis wins the first championship in hockey in their existence, as Toronto does for all of Canada in basketball. Baseball heating up here and internationally as well. Football, the soccer variety, clearly moving forward and the American football variety only a couple of months away it is clearly the hot time in sports across the globe so let's get right to it deal making three to one number three Amazon the most global valuable brand the brand Z top 100 most valuable global brands rankings others in the top 10 Google Microsoft Visa Facebook Alibaba Tencent McDonald's AT&T Amazon moved up to number three in 2018, a brand value of $316 million, a 52% change. Apple held fast at number two. And according to Recode, Bond Capital Partners' Mary Meeker released her annual Internet Trends Report at the Code Conference in Scottsdale. Some notable data points to her presentation saying 51% of the world, 3.8 billion people, Internet users last year, up from 49%. Internet ad spending in the U.S. up 22% in 2018. Most of the spending still on Google and Facebook. Companies like Amazon and Twitter are getting a growing share. The number of interactive gamers worldwide grew about 6% to 2.4 billion people last year as games like Fortnite became the new social media. Between gaming and the billions in advertising and sponsorship spent by the top brands, sports clearly central to those annual conversations. Number two, the LPGA and Group 1001 announced a new LPGA Tour event in Boca Raton. The first edition of the GameBridge LPGA at Boca Rio, held January 20 to 26, 2020, at Boca Rio Golf Club. We're thrilled to support women's professional golf and to promote a platform for the sport's best to compete and showcase their talent, said Dan Taurus, CEO of Group 1001. We want to thank our good friends at Group 1001 and Boca Rio Golf Club for their support of the LPGA and their desire to host a world-class event in South Florida, added LPGA Commissioner Mike Wan. The inaugural GameBridge LPGA at Boca Rio features a 108-player field competing for a $2 million purse over 72 holes of stroke play. The new event will be one of two LPGA Tour tournaments held in Florida in January 2020. The tour kicks off with the Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champions January 15 through 19 in Lake Buena Vista, the one week prior to the GameBridge LPGA at Boca Rio. Sunshine State also bookends the LPGA Tour season with the year culminating at the CME Group Tour Championship at Naples in November. Now number one. The MLS and SeatGeek prior to uh, launch an in-depth study on female fans of the league, coinciding with the launch of a new campaign, We Fan, highlights what women fans are looking for from the MLS. The study found that close to half of MLS fans 
overall minorities. 42% of the league fan base comprises women. The study also found 71% of women say they're MLS fans because they like bonding with family and friends who are fans. 75% of the women usually attend games with family members. The WeFan campaign created in-house, launched across social media and digital, MLS website and various SeatGeek partner clubs. And of course, it's likely no coincidence the campaign launch was timed uh, to be perfect with the intersection of women and soccer, the Women's World Cup in France. And the Women's World Cup typically has a carryover effect on women interest in the top level soccer competition all over the globe, as well as increased amateur participation. That's the deal making minute three to one. And speaking of number one, the D.C. United MLS process captures not only the political and diplomatic world in Washington, the youth world with their academy, the MLS world with Wayne Rooney, and obviously the women, given this new study and beyond. Bringing it all together, the World Cup, women's soccer, D.C. United, youth, Washington, who better than to look at another evolving interview with Andy Bush, the CRO of D.C. United, and Jason Levian, one of the founding partners, both of them together talking about life, soccer, development, and the growth of D.C. United. Star power in a brand spanking new stadium, things are looking up for DC United. Certainly exciting times, which is why we're happy to welcome co chairman and managing partner Jason Levy into the show, along with CRO Andy Bush. The biggest challenge that a uh, neophyte would see is how to distinguish uh, this sport, the uh, fifth major sport, in a very, very crowded DC landscape. How do you do it? We have a little bit of the perfect storm, though, and Jason and the team bringing in Wayne Rooney, which was such a bold move, and then having Wayne Rooney at his level come into the league and into the team and be very much as one of the teammates, not a global superstar. Started to win, brand new field, like all the elements are sort of aligned. The redevelopment of Buzzard Point, the Navy Yard, the Wharf, it's kind of all laid in front of us, and now, you know, for us, it's regardless of performance, it's how we create that community impact and the sponsor impact. So it kind of goes back to the same thing, but we're a new building, which everyone's excited about. Thankfully, it's an amazing stadium that creates an energy you don't see very much more European than traditional American venue. It's tight. There's no bad sidelines. The energy and the noise that our supporters create is not matched with other sports, especially in this region. So it's it's by design. We talked a little bit about the... Uh, passion of the fans and the hospitality is really important too. So talk a little bit about your input in designing a stadium like this basically for the fans. Well, I will say this. It wasn't as clear cut in 2012 that we should be right downtown in Buzzard Point uh, in the district. So we went out and talked to the governor of Virginia. We certainly talked to the Maryland Stadium Authority about sites in between Baltimore and Washington. Um, but as we looked at it, we looked at the success that Major League Soccer stadiums had had um, and, and where they were really sort of uh, next level. We realized that being downtown was the key. So I think that we would have been here a few years earlier, certainly, had we built a stadium in suburban Maryland or suburban Virginia. Uh, but making that decision to be in the district, it came with its challenges. Certainly our site has challenges. 
uh, with you know some of the the neighbors and some of the issues around the power lines and all of this. Uh, but long term for our fans, having them come together and congregate in, in this new hot neighborhood in Washington, that's been that's been a big part of what, what what's been a fan improvement. Power lines are important. You don't want to be hit by one, but when you compare it to seven and a half million dollars annual tax revenue and the 19 million of wages and the spending dollars that are uncontested from all the economic impact studies. I assume you're at projections on all of that. This thing is such a slam dunk home run. Mm -hmm. Any sports metaphor you want to name for buzzer point. You know, one of the things we did is when we we got there and we started excavating the the, the soil, we realized a lot of it was contaminated because there had been uh, a scrapyard on the site. Um, so we took better that than Indian. Uh, uh, that's right. That's right. Because yeah. we can get we can get rid of that <laughs> that, right. that soil. Yeah. So we took all that soil uh, and got rid of it. And so you know a lot of the neighbors have been so pleased because when they understand the environmental impact of that stadium, the job creation impact of that stadium, the, the sort of local jobs that that we've been generating, the revenue we've been generating, it's been a, a huge impetus for more growth in Buzzard Point. And so I, you know I, I think the next five years. Between the Navy Yard and the Wharf, which has certainly already come ahead of us and are massively successful, uh, I think you're going to see Buzzer Point be the fulcrum for all of that. An incredibly important point, too, again, with the vision. When you look at stadiums and arenas around the country, probably 30% of them are being done out in the suburbs because they're convenient. But the Bill Fords and the Lions of the World and people that want downtown stadiums make the hard choice because facilities like this should be uh, anchors for larger development with magnets to them, not just because they're convenient for the team. Have you seen a lot of that, Andy, as far as development is concerned and activity around the place? You got people coming into this area that uh, have never haven't been haven't been there before, right? Yeah, we see it really directly with just the inbound for us is all the local businesses who restaurateurs yeah. who cleaning services, just who want to come in and and that it's easily accessible for all of them. So. Um, for each local person, it's now an opportunity because it's not 30 miles away. So I'd say just what are you doing next? What gets built next? How do I participate? So we've had a lot of just D.C.-based businesses want to use the stadium, conduct their own meetings there, and then even even recruiting as they get new contracts and different things like that. So we've seen the level of participation on an inbound standpoint uh, has been pretty incredible in the last six months. So John Wall, Ovechkin, Scherzer, Rooney, do they all compete? Do they all uh, lift all boats? Why, or is it important to have that definitive superstar to succeed in the DC market? I think it's important to win. I think you, when you start to win and you have the right kind of chemistry on the pitch, just like you might have it on the court or on the ice, uh, it, fans gravitate towards that and you build an identity around that. So the number one thing I will factor we looked at when we brought in Wayne Rooney is, is he going to help us win? Is he going to make us more competitive? Is he going to make our product more compelling because we're showing that we want to win? So a lot of people asked us, they said, is this just a marketing ploy? This guy, Rooney, yeah. he's 32. He looks, you know, maybe he's washed up. And we did our homework and we said, this will work if we're successful on the field. And fortunately, that's really worked out for us. But I don't think it would work just to bring a big name in if we didn't have that success. But very well done. Now, you're not the soccer guy, but you're all things to all people. You can actually go out and use Rooney in your political marketing development aspects of what you need to do all over the region, right? Yeah, his social reach is incredible, so it's always a great starting point to get our message delivered uh, kind of more from us and how it 
builds a, a broader strategy for all of DC United. So, I mean, he's the start, and then when he follows through, the rest of our, our, our team really does as well because he's leading by example from that front. So it's, it's, very, it's a great communication tool for By us. the way, I just want to say this. You talk about the superstars in D.C. Yeah. Wayne Rooney has a bigger social media, fo- social media following than all of them combined. Uh, yeah, it's I, incredible. The, the reach of soccer and the reach of his career is just incredible. More from the pitch with our friends from D.C. United. Soccer's the most popular sport on the planet, but that's not exactly true here in the United States. So what gives? What's the future of soccer in America? When I was in law school, I remember they used to say, and, and before that, uh, they used to say that soccer was the sport of the future and always will be. Yeah. And was it ever going to catch on? Was it ever going to yeah. really hit? Um, and what Wait for the next generation. Right, right? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What I've seen in the last 10 years is remarkable. Um, and I'm not sure if the path to that growth was as clearly seen in, even in 2012 as it is now. Uh, so I, I see soccer, it, it, to mix metaphors, hockey sticking right now. Yeah. Um, I think the growth, the 80 million soccer fans in the United States that are getting more robust as the country becomes more diverse, as a new generation is learning sport, um, and, and that soccer is still very young and it's in its infancy in the U.S. Uh, but what it's done around the world is tr- tremendous. And so I think I think the future is amazing. Premier League, uh, just quick, like lightning round question. The Saturday, Sunday morning, every game help because it increases exposure or hurts because the product here isn't as good? I think it's some of both. I think that it's helped on, 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 you know, on balance. It helps. I think there's such passion for soccer. Um, that we understand how we, we don't need to create more soccer fans, by the way. Yeah. What we need to do is get our, the soccer fans in the U.S. to be right. more excited about MLS. So you see the passion in the Premier League, especially in this market, in Washington, D.C. We were talking about that earlier. Um, you know, you look at the ratings in D.C. and the surrounding areas in Richmond and Baltimore and Norfolk. Uh, it's tremendous. So it shows you what the potential is as we continue to improve the product and the fan experience. Do we think that the 2022 Qatar World Cup and then the bridge to the 2026 World Cup here help because there are a couple of really important lines in the sand we're all gearing toward? I think the intention span of the American sports fan is going to be on soccer between now and 2026 in a major way, maybe like it's never been before. So I think that that's going to help us quite a bit. You? I just think our environment here, again, kind of localizing it is everything for us is getting that hardcore soccer fan and the event fan to Audi Field because it's going to feel like a similar environment if they've ever watched anything specifically to the Premier League. So for us, that's that's that next step is we become the home of soccer, whether it's the World Club, whether it's Saturday morning, uh, it doesn't matter what team they support, and then convincing them to become DC United fans. Is the ultimate goal as well to convert Redskin fans or convert Premier League fans? I think I think it's already happening in both end, both okay. ends. I think that if you look at our demographic, for well, the Redskins kind of help. That's right. We'll leave that alone. But just, <laughs> no, but our, our demographic we have a younger fan base overall. Uh, we've got um, a fan base that's very diverse. Um, so I think if you look at the demographics of Washington D.C. Yeah. and the country yeah. and where they're headed, um, I, I think we're in a, we're very well situated. Yeah, I think we partner really well with the NBA and. You know, I think as their season comes out and our season starts, I think it complements each other. And um, I, I definitely think the the youth of our um, our fan and the development in and around the district is is placed to our favor. I think Andy brings up a good point also earlier about the schedule, 
having that consistency of yeah. programming. Um, I think the league has done a good job of making improvements, even in the seven or eight years I've been involved uh, with the league in doing that. Uh, but that's going to be key as we look to 2022 and the new media deal. Yes. And also, the league has probably started and stopped in different spaces uh, more than a lot of other leagues. Uh, but it's emerged uh, relatively unscathed. I mean, it's been a good experiment with the calendar. With the calendar, they've tried that. Even with the rules early on, if you remember in the league, they had shootouts after every game. They had all kinds of different things they experimented with. You don't like shootouts? Well, I think what's happened is you realize the soccer fans love the sport of soccer. And we don't need to make it more exciting because it is so incredibly exciting. And I think that's what they've learned over time. Interesting. A couple of quickies. Um, Gambling. Really, 10 years ago, NFL, everybody wouldn't touch it. Now, you can't live without it. So I know you've got relationships. I don't know how much you can talk about as done deals, but you're big into the whole process of uh, legalized gambling and making it easy for your fans. Yeah, I think it's a component of our hospitality programming. Uh, It's it's going to be a fun addition of how our fans engage with it. It's such a part of soccer culture, especially in Europe, and and, and transforming those European fans into D.C. United fans will be kind of another opportunity for us. So, uh, if, if we do it in a way that's responsible, I think it's a great enhancement. And I think our league is very um, going to lead the way in those efforts and, and the best practices to do it. And, and finding partners who have had experience across the pond doing it right would be important, right? I think that's right. I mean, it's such a big part of the, of the culture in Europe, yeah. as Andy said. And we've experienced that. I've experienced that with Swansea. Um, that you can you, you see there's it's, it can be a big component to making – uh, our fans engage with the content in a different way. I think so too. Esports. Uh, is every team in the MLS going to have an esport team as well, like the NBA does? What's your prediction? We have one now. We start, yeah. we're, we're one of the 18, I think, members right now, Andy. So, have uh, you seen him play video games? By the way, he's really, he's really good. I mean, really good. So, how does he play esports, though? He plays video games well. I don't, I don't know. That's why I'm over here. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you're out ahead of the curve, as you should be. But so, so we consider it a sport, or, or certainly we could debate whether it's a sport or not, but it's a big revenue producer down the road. So oh, and, no and you're, you're in the middle of it. I'm in the middle of it. I'm also, I've got a seven-year-old, and we play FIFA like crazy. Yeah. So I will tell you, what, it's an amazing game. It's an amazing yeah. game to learn the players and be a part of that excitement. So we started our EMLS team this year. It was our first year. Uh, we did fairly well, but that is definitely an area of growth, especially with our demographic of so many young people following the, the league. Are you are you guys kind of bringing the rest of the league along as far as uh, EMLS teams? Are, are other teams going to be doing the same thing? They're doing it. I mean, we're, they're, they're, the league is very much on the forefront of that, Andy. I think you've seen that. Yeah, without question. I, the majority of the league is already participating, and it wasn't elbow twisting. It was it's uh, get, let's get point of entry right and, and keep moving forward. And here's hoping, by the way, that as the e-sport Oli- is accepted as an Olympic sport, which five years ago nobody had even thought of, that we find a game that's a little more benign and docile than the ones that you cut people's heads off and throw them in the garbage. And maybe the FIFA game is the game that you take. I mean, we're very close to that as far as Olympics are concerned. Yeah, well, the, the, the FIFA game has done amazing things yeah. for the sport of soccer in the U.S., yeah. Um, so I, I think it has that ability to transcend. And I know a lot of people who are sports fans who don't necessarily love soccer but know FIFA. And they yeah. know the players on these different teams because of that. Both of you, where is the franchise you first 10 years from now? The example and standard for professional sports and how to, how to be a corporate citizen and, and succeed on the pitch. Typical aspiration of Andy's, and he's going he's to pull it off too. Jason? I, what he said. What I, he no, said. I love that. I think, yeah. I think that kind of vision that Andy has – uh, is is I share it with him. 
um, and we, we see that growth opportunity. You know, we're, we're in the nation's capital. We're, the, we're the, the, the beautiful game for the world. And bringing those two together is something that's going to be really special in the next 10 years. We can tell DC United, pretty good hand. Rick Harrell, speak with you soon. Well, Jason Levy and Andy Bush can certainly give us that perspective relative to D.C. United women's soccer, perfectly timed for the World Cup. But let's get into our tech minute for the week. And it starts with a World Cup issue. Google Doodles celebrating all the teams in the Women's World Cup tournament with a series of doodles. Google itself. Some of the recent homepage banners on Google's search page represent works by artists of six different countries. Chile, Netherlands, New Zealand, Sweden, Thailand, and the U.S. Teams from each of the countries completed the first Thursday, Tuesday of the tournament. Google said that each of the countries would be involved with a distinct message about what the tournament means for each artist in each country. The banner rotates around different teams and features four to five designs in one day. Google also said soccer fans will be able to use Google Assistant and the search app to follow real-time matches in their updated uh, reality. While the Google search app will let you subscribe to the team updates, Assistant can answer specific questions. And having one of the largest search engine websites feature Women's World Cup content will give even more casual fans uh, the ability to talk about the tournament. Now, obviously, entering its second week of play, and the sky is the limit. And then we can't go one week without talking about gaming. Super League Gaming acquires eSports video network Framerate, the uh, platform for competitive and social gameplay experience, acquiring the independent social video network in eSports and gaming for a price of a million and a half in cash and a million in stock. And earlier this year, Super League Gaming went public to expand its business of running eSports events in places such as movie theaters and top golf venues. According to VentureBeat, Framerate boasts more than 100,000 followers and generates millions of video views and engagements per month across Instagram, Instagram TV, Facebook, and Facebook Watch. The eSports video network has become the largest independent gaming media channel on Instagram and a top five channel overall, driving more videos across Instagram video than traditional gaming outlets. And Super League Gaming will make esports even more available to the outsider through this move as they will use social media channels to bring esports to the masses in public locations. That's your Tech Minute. How about the Power of Sports? Well, the Power of Sports Minute features a couple of British charitable issues this week. First, Maggie Murphy aims for the world's biggest game of soccer to support women in sports. The BBC says Maggie Murphy works in anti-corruption in sports and is determined to make sure the excitement and new investments in women's soccer translates into more participation in grassroots soccer for women and girls around the globe. In 2016, Murphy founded Equal Playing Field, a voluntary nonprofit organization to encourage women's soccer participation around the world. Now overlapping with the Women's World Cup, Murphy and Equal Playing Field attempt to break the Guinness World record of the largest number of players involved in a single football match. She aims to bring together 35 
hundreds women, girls, and allies from about 70 countries with the match to take place over the course of five days from June 27 to July 1. And if successful, it'll be the third Guinness World Record that Equal Playing Field has helped break recorded the highest altitude game ever played on Mount Kilimanjaro and the lowest in the Dead Sea. Murphy noted the U.S. is one of the best countries for women to play soccer as they continue to face economic troubles, while women playing soccer in Afghanistan may face death threats. Well, there's another charitable issue across the pond. Prince Harry's charity and MLB teams will uh, team up before the Foundation's London series in 2019. Major League Baseball announced that the Invictus Games Foundation, of which Prince Harry is a sponsor, will be an official charity partner for the London series this year. It's been announced ahead of MLB's first foray into London. Later this month, the rivalry between the Yankees and the Red Sox, June 29 and 30. And according to the London Mirror, the Invictus Games Foundation, an international charity that oversees the development of the Invictus Games, the multi-sport event created by the Duke of Sussex. In an attempt to bring America's pastime to the UK, the Invictus Games Foundation has a team participating in London's Softball 60, the social softball series built for the city and targeted to introduce the sport to new audiences. Kudos to them. And kudos to everybody who is linking the power of sport. Well, that's it for the show today. We would certainly like to thank uh, Jason Levian and Andy Bush for adding some international perspective in the middle of the Women's World Cup. We'd like to thank you for listening and join us again next week when we continue to keep score. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score, assistance provided by Carlos Swadek. Tanner Simpkins, Reuters Digital. I'm Ricaro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.